You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 110 with Kai Davis. Kai, I'm so glad we're finally able to do this after a couple of reschedulings. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, uh, exciting to be here. I'm excited to share some wisdom and knowledge with the listeners. Yeah, this is a very, uh, like a topic that's close to home for me. Uh, we're talking about going on podcast tours, uh, for agencies specifically, obviously, for, you know, you often hear about people going on tours for a book launch or like a new course launch or something like that, right? But I don't often, uh, hear about agency owners going on podcast tours. And I, have somewhat of an understanding of why I think it's really important. I have my own reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, during this episode. But let's start with like why going on a podcast tour makes sense for an agency owner. Absolutely. So the, the, the sort of money answer is it's great lead generation. If you have an idea of who your target market is and if that target market you know, listens to podcasts, guesting on podcasts is just such an efficient, affordable, and effective way to get in their ears, uh, present yourself as being everywhere. Even if you, know, you only do a small podcast tour, maybe you guest on six podcasts over two or three months, that's still a number of chances you have to speak to your ideal clients, to create these evergreen artifacts that you could publish on your website or send out to your email list and just present yourself as, hey, if you, dear listener, are experiencing this problem, get in touch. We could help or at least tell you who to talk to if we can't. So top of mind for me really is they're a great way just to build your authority and generate leads within a market. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What do you say, though? Because lead generate like lead tracking and analytics with podcasts are notoriously hard to track you know like i, I remember in the early days of content snare i went on quite a few podcasts and then i was looking at our analytics going oh 80% of our conversions come from people just typing in contentsnare.com or typing content snare into google and this is freaking useless even if you give codes or like special links they don't use them the listeners because they're driving or whatever and it's to me it's like a more of a branding exercise top of mind what where are you on that so I guess two answers come to mind. One is it absolutely does work as a branding play. And that's often where my clients come in saying, hey, we just want to be known or we want to be seen as more of an authority or have people know who we are. So completely with you there. Hmm. In terms of that attribution or just being able to say, hey, I guess on these podcasts, did we get any work from it? Does it generate an ROI? You're right. Podcasting is right now really squishy in terms of analytics. What I've done that's worked well for both me and my clients has been setting up what I think of as just a catchments, landing pages, essentially, where maybe I'll have a page set up and say, hey, if you want to learn more, go to, you know, da-da-da.com slash agency highway. And yeah, not everybody is going to remember that URL or go to that URL, but some percentage will land folks that land on that page, maybe they're presented with an offer, get the resources I mentioned, get our quick start guide or our one pager. So you have some attribution there. Another thing I often do is on my site, when somebody opts in or immediately after, I'll present them with a form and say, hey, just a quick question. How did you hear about me? 
And if they select podcast on the drop-down menu, I'll have another little field appear. Hey, great. Which podcast was it? And so then I'm able to look at it and say, oh, wow, I was on Agency Highway and I got, you know, 40 new subscribers. And one of them said, hey, I want to work with you. What do you do? How do I get in touch? So, again, it definitely is squishy. It's not as perfect as, say, running a Facebook campaign or ranking top of Google for a specific keyword. But... It's, it's not as bad as it could be. It's not completely opaque like, let's say, a Yellow Page ad, but <laughs> it's not completely clear. Yeah, I'm so glad you uh, – the both of those, actually. Like, the, the landing page, to me, I've had fairly mixed success with, but I can see, like – the way to make that work is a freebie, right? Like if if they Google content snare, for example, and like the process, like what's the point of going to a landing page if they're going to get the same thing uh, to come to our like free trial, right? But if it was a landing page that got them something for free, it would make sense for them to go there. And then you could filter your analytics by, uh, you know, landing page. Um, the other one though, that's what I'm really glad you said, because that's essentially exactly what I do for the reason that we cannot track. Like, because I said 80% of our conversions are on-brand search or direct URL, it's like, we can't make any decisions based on that. So we actually incentivize our people to tell us where they came from. So we extend their trial. So they have a 14 day trial. If they tell us where they come from, um, it gets extended to 21 days. And that's when after going on like podcasts, I can see some obviously again not everyone does it but quite a few people do uh because it's it's an easy it's very easy for them to get an extra you know 50 percent on their trial so um yeah quite a lot of people do it and and we get some usable data from that which is nice yeah keying off of one thing you said there i think usable data usable data is the right way to think about it it's not going to be perfect we aren't going to be able to say this lead in particular came through you know this podcast but if we're able to squint at it and say oh wow like we guessed it on half a dozen podcasts. We got, you know, 100 subscribers and four or five leads and two or three of them converted. That seems pretty good. It hmm. at least lets us know what way the wind is blowing and lets us say, oh, yeah, yeah let's do another podcast tour. Yeah, absolutely. So just before we move on to actually how to run said tour, one of the benefits that I just like to highlight the main one of the very big reasons I like to go on podcasts and it's SEO. Right. Like if you if you actually care about SEO in your business, like some agencies don't like that. If you're relying on like word of mouth or other lead generation and you're not trying to rank for, you know, web designer, insert city here. Um, <laughs> like but if you are podcasts are um, amazing for SEO, like I kind of learned this myself just by going on podcasts and then monitoring our backlinks and seeing that like. Every show we did, of course, we'd get a link, but then it would be syndicated by these other random sites that would also have those links included. Uh, and I was just like, whoa, like this is crazy. And then I interviewed uh, Phil Singleton from um, KCD Web Designer and who's a bit of a, I guess, name in SEO, right? So I was a little bit, you know, fangirling over, over him. And then he told me that pretty much all he does for SEO now is go on podcasts, or at least this was what I, is a long time ago when I interviewed him. And I was like, whoa, like if this guy is just doing podcasts for SEO, like that's where it's at. And then he asked me if I wanted to come on his podcast. So you can guess what I answered. <laughs> yes, in a heartbeat. <laughs> Absolutely. So is that something you've, like, do you go on for that reason as well? SEO, is that a big thing for you? 
SEO is a big thing for me, but aside from sort of the origin story of me doing podcast tours, which I'll share in a couple minutes, it's not the main driver. I see it as like a very attractive fringe benefit. I like meeting people, having that connection, being able just to like share a story, have a conversation and have the listeners say, oh, wow, I like what this conversation was. I like what this Kai guy shared with me. And if, you know, over a month I get three, four, five high quality backlinks to an exact match page of an exact match keyword, all the better, a really, really nice Mm -hmm. benefit. But again, I really see that as like a nice secondary benefit. That Mm -hmm. said, oftentimes a client will say, yeah, what do we do for our SEO? What do we do for our backlink building? Do we want to just, you know, do a broken link building? And I'm like, no, please, let's do a podcast tour. Let's do Mm. some digital public relations. Let's get you some guest webinars or guest podcasts or guest articles placed. It's so much easier and so much higher quality Mm -hmm. than Google truly wants. Absolutely, yeah. And you touched on something there too that like, I guess it's another fringe benefit. To me, it's actually a main benefit, but the the networking, like the relationships you build with the people you speak with. I mean, that's one of the main things uh, for this podcast, you know, like I get to talk to some amazing people like you (laughs) that I would not have got to speak to otherwise. And, you know, I was saying offline earlier how much I hate the word, hate the phrase, pick your brain, but that's kind of what I get to do with some of these, right? It's like I get to communicate with, have conversations and build relationships with people, um, based on, in this case, I'm the podcast host, but the same thing happens as a guest. Like if you go on someone else's podcast, you've started a relationship, which may end up with them referring work to you in the future. Not, they don't have to directly come from that podcast. Oh, completely agreed. I think there are so many benefits from this, you know, podcast-based networking. Even if it's just, hey, I was just on your show. I just published this new article or a new course. Could you, you know, retweet it or share it with your audience? Because we have an existing relationship. We had a conversation. We had a bit of an offline conversation. We enjoy that talking. It's easier for a small ask like that to convert. So I completely agree. It's, it's such a powerful way to build a network, build relationships, or get additional benefits or spread a message even wider. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say to an agency owner who's listening to this and thinking like, oh, I don't know what I'd even talk about on a podcast or I'm like, I don't know, I'm not an expert enough. If someone's got that kind of mindset, what would you say? Well, first, if they're an agency owner, I'd say to them, my friend, you definitely have that expertise or that knowledge. <laughs> yep. What? But this is a really, really common question. I'd say 70% of the folks I've worked with say like, okay, I want to go on a podcast. What am I going to talk about? I'm just a business owner over here with a decade of experience. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, yeah. (laughs) I try to break it down into sort of three categories. Uh, Let's see if I can remember them at a drop of the hat. What's something sort of controversial where the industry says A, but you say B? Our SEO conversation from just a bit ago, I think is a great example. What's the best way in 2020 to earn backlinks? Is it broken link building? Is it something else? Or is it kind of the unorthodox guest on podcasts? It's a bit of a different take, a different approach, and it gets an intrigue factor. So one way is, where do you zig when the rest of the industry zags? A second way would be, what's a common problem somebody in your target market or your ideal client is dealing with? Can you have a conversation for, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes about what the problem is, the implications, how to get started solving it if you're going to DIY it, or how do you pick a service provider or an agency to help you solve that problem? So that's a second sort of bucket Mm -hmm. we could draw from. Well, yeah, I was just uh, thinking there like around that target market thing. And and if people have a somewhat attitude where it is self-defeating, I was going to try and avoid saying that, but it is a little bit. And um But if you have, like you said, that decade of knowledge, it doesn't even have to be like if you know how to build websites or you've run some good marketing campaigns to someone in your industry, like let's say you serve accountants, 
if you can find an accounting podcast, like the listeners to that, you are so far above where they are at is in terms of marketing and web design that you truly are an expert, even though you might think that everyone, everyone in your industry agencies know how to build a website. Um, like doesn't mean that the people that will be listening to you do right. Like you could just share a good case study from an accountant you've had and what you did with a certain client. You don't have to say their name and that can be super valuable. Like I know a guy that serves, um, I want to say it's dentists. I can't remember now, but it's one of those like classic niche, niches, niches. <laughs> um, and he goes to conferences and literally just talks case studies of his pre- previous clients and gets a ton of work out of it because everyone's just like, I want you to do that for me too. <laughs> so, it, and, and these are like no pitch conferences, right? And he's just, but of course he absolutely cleans up at them and you could do the same thing on podcasts. Sorry, I am um, breaking in there, but yeah, third bucket. Third, third bucket would be any area where you just have like a deep expertise. I think, the, you know, I've built websites for accountants for a decade example is mm. a great one because like, yeah, I mean, what goes into a website? The quick answer is like you have a homepage, you have a couple other pages done. But when it comes to like an accountant or an accounting practice, what are the nooks and crannies? What are the unorthodox or weird problems they're dealing with? What compliance issues do they have to deal with or lead gen issues? It gets to be this really interesting rabbit hole. And if you're able to sort of dig in there and say, well, hey, you know, based on my experience, these are a couple of the weird and interesting things I found or things that really you only learn after half a decade doing this. You get a couple interesting stories there. You're able to demonstrate your expertise, share relevant information and help people better understand that topic. Boom. Yeah. And I think we've cut like those, the last five minutes we've been talking about uh, here are, I guess, absolute confirmation to me that like pretty much anyone should be doing this, <laughs> you know, but there is a barrier, I guess, to, to going ahead and doing it because one, people might be scared to do it. Um, you know, I can, I remember my first few interviews, I was so, so nervous. Um, but it's just like, yeah, the same as like all the YouTube videos I create now. It's like the first few sucked. They always do. <laughs> uh, but it is just something you get used to. So that's something I'd, I'd like to highlight here before we dig into like how to actually get on podcasts. So how, because I know this is obviously a big thing uh, of what you do, because I'm um, looking at your website right here, getonpodcasts.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so happy I was able to buy that domain. It was like three years ago, and everybody's like, "How did you get it?" A lucky ten dollars purchase. Yeah, that's insane. Um, yeah, so obviously Kai helps people with uh, getting on podcasts. So if you would like to shortcut all of this, just jump over there and um, and talk to Kai. But so let, let, let's cover that now. So how do you get into getting on podcasts? Where do you even start if you want to do this? What, what I recommend to people is we start by thinking about both the outcome we're looking for. And we touched on that a couple of minutes ago, but we could definitely go into it again. But are you looking for brand awareness, leads, just to build up your confidence and sort of get a few reps in and say, oh, wow, I've done my first half a dozen podcast interviews. It sucked. I had to pour myself a finger of whiskey beforehand just to get some liquid courage. But, you know, after six, it kind of sucks a little less. I feel like I'm getting my feet under me. Uh, uh, so uh, I lost my train of thought there. But uh, uh <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. No, man, it, it happens. It's totally fine. But yeah, so um, I was almost going to say like getting started, uh, the first thing you should do. I, I don't want people to go and do this immediately though because it's like it's one of those crutches. Like you just go and buy tech stuff. I was going to say make sure you've got a bloody good microphone. <laughs> 
Um, actually, that that's a lie. You don't need a bloody good microphone. You can spend a hundred bucks and get something decent like that. I know the ATR twenty one hundred is really popular. I am still using the Rode NT one USB. Like a lot of really serious podcast people switch to XLR into like you know, analog interface mics, basically. And um, at least I think that's analog. This is how much I don't know Jack and I'm hosting a podcast and guesting on them. So it's not that not that important. You just have to have a decent USB mic. And, you know, if you feel like a boom arm, because it it gets those like vibrations and desk knocks out of the way. But um, I'd say that's like one important thing, just because I kind of don't like it when guests when, when, like, don't have very good audio uh, as as a host, right? Um, but, you know, I do have guests on occasionally that are just using like the classic Apple. Th- that's like the worst case scenario, right? If they're using a um, an Apple. Earbuds. Yeah, just earbuds, right? Because the microphone gets pretty close to your mouth and, and it's actually not too bad. But just with how cheap it is to get a decent mic these days, I, I reckon it's worth just getting a decent USB mic like the Rode NT USB. But yeah, so where then do we go with um, like, is it outreach? Like where do we, how do we start getting on these podcasts? Uh, I think we start by, you know, thinking about the outcome we're looking for, thinking about who we want to reach. And then starting to validate, are there podcasts out there that reach this target market? Mm. So let's use the dentist example. It's a great one. There are podcasts out there for dentists. So we might say, uh, hey, I run a marketing firm. My best clients, they're dentists who want to get more patients for their practice and higher paying patients. So I want to reach dentists and help them achieve this. So we might start looking online, see if we could find these podcasts, validate that podcasts that reach this audience do accept guests. And then I typically recommend, let's start thinking through those topics and then start moving into pitches. So before we send an outreach email, let's think through those three areas. What's something we're an expert in? What sort of a controversial take we have? And what's an unorthodox approach we might have or something a little offbeat? And so think through those, identify a few different topics that we could bring to podcast hosts. And that's when I like moving into outreach. Since then, it's really simple to say, hey, I checked out your podcast. I like the look of your show. I like the look of your audience. I'd love to come on and teach your audience something new. Here are a couple ideas I put together. Idea one, idea two, idea three. Which of these do you think your audience would really enjoy hearing about? And so I'll typically start any outreach campaign from that point, sending out a couple emails, seeing what responses I get back and seeing when people do respond, if I'm able to move that conversation forward. Yeah, nice. And like, obviously, we get a lot of pitches. Um, so I can comment on some of the things that uh, I do and don't look for <laughs> in a in these pitches. But I'm interested in how much research you do on the actual show before you send the outreach. I try to do a decent amount of research. So I'll look through the show uh, homepage, look through them in iTunes, see if I could see what a popular episode is. It might be in the sidebar. They might say, hey, start here, our 10 most popular mm-hmm. episodes. And I'll try to listen to a full episode, but sometimes I just don't have the time or the opportunity. Oh, of course. At least try to skim through and say, okay, what's the sound of it? What's the take? How does the host interact with the guests? Are there, you know, bits or segments, or is it a 30-minute conversation with somebody? Just so I have a good idea of what the flow and what the format is before I start that conversation. Yeah, and it really shows. I can tell you that when someone's done research, like, you know, the, the obviously the worst pitches, they don't even say my name, right? It'll just be like, hi there, or hi, uh, and then straight into a, like this massive pitch that 
is clear. Like if I can clearly see this is copy and pasted um, with no personalization, like it's I'm I'm out. I understand that there's going to be they're going to be sending the same thing to a lot of people, and that is totally fine as long as I think that um, they've actually checked out the show and that it's going to be helpful. That's really all I care about. The the only con- like constraint I have on this show is that I think it's going to be helpful for agencies, right? Um, I don't care like really what the topic is unless, but that on that note, actually, like if someone is like, Oh, I know you, like, I'd like talking about this kind of thing, but I see you've covered that recently. So, you know, we could do these other two topics like that clearly shows they've done their research. Um, you know, the amount of pitches I get for a, a topic that we've had, like in the last five episodes, is just like, come on. And you didn't call that out. Like that was your opportunity. Uh, there's a, quite a few things like that. Like, you know, I, even if they say, Hey, I see you had X person on your show. Um, I know him from blah, blah, blah. He's a great guy. Like if they've done some research, they know my name, they've looked at some guests. It's so, so much different than when I just get these like other ones where, in fact, the first thing I look for is my name. If my name's not there, because obviously they, they generally can't scrape that from the site. Well, sometimes they can. I'm sure there's tools that do it. But if I don't see my name there, it's pretty much an instant delete. <laughs> yeah, completely agreed. Uh, uh, I guess uh, so. I, I guess I approach it from both sides. I've hosted a number of podcasts, have mm. a couple of podcasts of my own, and I definitely experienced the, the terrible spam cannon. I've had mm. shows running for a couple of years where I've never had a guest on, and I might get two or three pitches a week. We'd love to be on your show. We listen to a couple episodes. Here's our suggestion for a guest. And I'm like, did you really? Since like on the about page, it says we don't have guests. It's our guest. Oh, and yes. It just misses the mark, and it feels like it's just a tiny bit of effort to close that gap and say, hey, I see you don't usually have guests on. Can you make an exception? I have a really cool pitch here, and at least acknowledging that, showing that they put in the effort, makes it a lot easier, like you said, to say, okay, I could see a story here or see how it might be mm-hmm. interesting or at least consider it. But when there's no name, when there's no personalization, when it really yeah. just feels like it's the same email with a different mailing address slapped on it, yeah. it's hard to even muster up the energy for a reply. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And when you get so many of them, it's just like, of course, you start just deleting things, right? Like it's you you can't just reply to all of them. Um, Although it's quite funny, uh, we put on a new support uh, girl recently called Marina for Content Snare. And she's she's amazing, right? And so friendly. And she's actually replying to like guest post outreach (laughs) where I'm normally just like, nope, 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 nope. I'm like, stop being nice to these people. Just delete it. Like, unless it's really good outreach, like, sometimes I'll reply. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's just so funny to see, like, how much of an ass I am compared to some people. <laughs> I guess you just get jaded after doing it for a long time and seeing so many pitches. It's like, this is not even worth my time. So, yeah, I guess... 10,000th pitch. Yeah, so that's another thing, too. Like, don't get sad or mad if someone doesn't reply because they sometimes they might just miss it. Sometimes, you know, they just they might just be getting slammed. Um, so you're not going to get a reply to all of these. But, yeah, like, that, I love that what you said there where you called out, like, I know you don't normally have guests, but, um, you know, I've definitely done that in, in my outreach before because, to me, it's, like, it's sometimes it's worth a shot unless it's straight up like we never have guests like like yours but that that is funny like i see so many stories of like people's podcasts that haven't even had an episode in like a year or um yeah or they don't have guests and they still get the outreach you know like a basic bit of research is going to make you look like less of a a dummy there so Mm -hmm. yeah so i guess 
Do you have any tips on like finding podcasts that people could go on? Because this is definitely something I like to know. Like I've I've tried various tools and websites. I know was it Listen Notes? I can't remember. There used to be a really good website, but now it's gone paid. Um, which I mean, maybe not a bad thing. But you know, how do you find podcasts to go on? Listen Notes has been one of my favorites for the last year or two. And yeah, they just went paid. It's it's not that bad. It's like four bucks a day and you get three people on your account. So I'll switch it over to paid for a week or so. Do some research, do yeah. some podcasts, switch it off. I'm exciting, or excited that they were able to switch to paid. But yeah, it definitely feels like, ah, oh, come on, show some love. Uh, Listen Notes, though, great one. I like browsing through the iTunes podcast store on occasion just to see if anything pops out to me. But the trick that I really, really enjoy, and I'll send you a link so we could include it in show notes, is what I call the magic Google search. So basically, we might be doing some podcast research. We might say, oh, hey, I see one or two people. They're on all these shows that I really want to be on. Let me do this Google search and see what the magic Google can tell us about all the different shows they're on. I think of this as almost uh, uh, guest shadowing or guest stalking. So I might search for you and say, okay, what shows has James been on? Oh, he was on this dozen. Uh, He was on this topic. I'm sort of on that topic. Let me try pitching. Or since I have a relationship with James now, let me reach out to him and say, hey, you're on the show. Any chance you could introduce me to the host? I'd love to guest on there as well. So really, this I think is one of the best approaches. Who in your network has been doing podcasts? Can you follow them? Can you identify those podcasts? And can you use that to sort of build that initial outreach list or get started identifying who you want to speak with? It's been the best and most consistent approach I found. That's so awesome. People listening to this can't be seeing me grinning like an idiot right now uh, because this is exactly what I've done a couple of times where I've had guests that were clearly on a tour. And then I, after interviewing them, I've gone through and googled their name like plus interview plus podcast or whatever i thought i was so bloody clever (laughs) (laughs) i've done almost the exact same thing it's yeah it is it's magic like you just get this list spit out of you know i guess this is like a lazy uh, i'm somewhat of a lazy marketer and i often try to piggyback on the work other people have done right like you know using tools like ahrefs to find keywords that other websites rank for so we can you know try and go for the same thing or um and in this case like you know someone else has done the research and all the podcasts and you can kind of just see exactly their research by uh and which ones accept guests uh just by searching their name plus podcast you know it's powerful. It's yeah. Great. And it's a fun way. And yeah, it's it feels like it's almost easy mode at times since you don't have to worry like, are they going to accept it? Do they only accept like tier one guests? You know, hey, if this person seems realistic, I have a chance of guesting on that show as well. Yeah. And the, the real kicker where what you said there before was like, now you have a connection with that person so you can like ask them for the introductions. I probably wouldn't push it too far, you know, maybe two or three is, is where I draw the line. Go, can you introduce me to those 18 podcast hosts, please? No, don't do that. Um, but that's such a, such a good, good strategy. Um, so yeah, I guess between like listen notes, you know, I found another podcast search engine once that I was like really happy with, forgot to save it. Uh, and I've been looking for it for months now and haven't been able to find it again. So yeah, Listen Notes is probably one of the better ones because what you can do is filter for things like give me business podcasts that have had an episode in the last, you know, X amount of time, um, uh, you know, search for certain keywords. You might say guest, you know, so because I might say this week's guest is 
Uh, and so you can really get to nail it down, right? In, but by keywords, categories, um, how long it's been since they had a po- like you could say how many episodes they've been. Maybe only only want to go on ones that have had more than fifty episodes. So those kind of filter criteria are really good, and then you just launch into the outreach sort of stuff we've talked about before, like just personalized outreach uh, to to each of those owners. Sometimes I guess there's different ways. Like you normally have to stalk their site a bit, right, to find out the best way to contact them? Is that what you do? Like, do you just go to their website and look around? Yeah, I'll look around their website. I'll uh, use a tool like hunter.io mm. to see if they're able to source an email address. Uh, occasionally, I'll see if I can't find an email address. I'll see if they have a newsletter that I could sign up for since that reply to address usually is a real one and a live one. Mm-hmm. Finding that email address, though, can often be the hardest point or the friction point since if people don't want to be pitched, they could do a lot just to not have an address on the site, use a, a, a who is blocker, and then it gets to be a little harder. But mm. often, yeah, that's the process I'll follow. Go to their site, see if I could find an email address. If I see a contact form, I try to stay away from it just since it's usually not the best in my experience to get an email through to them. But yeah, find that that's email and then move into outreach and follow up. That's really interesting you say that because I've always wondered about pitching through forms. Like part of me feels like I don't like this. Um, like it's probably a filter. They're like ignoring anything that comes through this. But like I totally look at my form because that, that actually does get emailed to me. And, and but again, yeah, it's, as long as it's well personalized, I don't care. But. Yeah, that, I've always had that sneaking suspicion that I shouldn't be using the contact forms. So that's interesting to hear. I'll, I'll tell you why I dislike it. And it's really, it's impossible or nearly impossible to follow up if I go through the form. Yeah, I could submit a second one through the form, but it's a bit harder. It's a bit like wacky. Hey, here is my third submission through your form in the last month. Please respond to me. But at least if we have that email address, we could send them an email. We could wait a week. We could follow up. We could wait mm-hmm. a week. We could send a third email and wait a week. And that really, the follow-up, is where I see the most placements come from. Not just wow. the first email, but the second or third email. Like you referenced earlier, maybe it's a busy time in that host's life. Maybe the world is going through something at the moment and they just aren't paying attention to their inbox. So if we could just bump that thread up a week, two weeks later, it often lets us make that contact and start that conversation. Yeah. And as much as I, I guess a lot of outreach annoys me and the follow-ups annoy me, I 100% am on board with that because there are times where I'm just like so busy. Like this week, if someone pitched me this week, I'm deleting that email straight up because I've just got too much stuff to do. But if that comes in in two weeks, like I can see my calendar is like super open in two weeks. I just had a look like I was mind blowing. Like next week is just completely full. And then I have nothing on my calendar the week after. I'm like, I don't know what's happened here. But like, you know, if if something comes through that week, it's going to be like, oh, cool. Yeah, I can do that. Um, Provided it's a decent outreach, you know. So and like I appreciate good follow ups as a good good outreach as well you know where i say i like i don't like outreach it's the shit the the spam stuff that i just hate whereas if you get someone who's quite genuine they've clearly done their research it's actually refreshing and it's not that bad like as long as you're not going crazy i saw someone on twitter a friend of mine complaining yesterday about like the seventh follow-up that he'd gotten from someone (laughs) you know and there is all that like classic marketing advice is like seven touch points you know you should at least send at least five to seven follow-ups and you're like bullshit like who's actually doing that now and without like pissing people off and ruining your reputation. (laughs) 
I'm 90% with you there. Like the low quality follow-up is just what grinds my gears when it's like email five. Did you get my previous email? Yes, I could see the four previous emails. <laughs> if I got the previous email. Thank you so much. I've honestly, one time I did a 17 email follow-up sequence for a Whoa. client. And the immediate question is like, what the hell are you saying? What I did was I sat down with the client. I'm like, okay, let's talk about all the interesting things you've done that a podcast host might, might be interested in. Conference talks, books you've published, articles you've published, other podcasts you've guested on, your own podcast that you might want to invite the host on to. My philosophy with follow-up isn't, let's close the deal immediately, but let's get a conversation started. Let's just get that reply. And 17 emails, the longest sequence I've ever done, and it's been rarely that long. But with that sequence, we were able to book him on 50 podcasts, literally exhausting the field of potential podcasts for him to be on. And it worked really well. But I think the sticking point of the difference was it was all high-quality follow-up. I probably mm. spent... I don't even know how long, dozens of hours just crafting these emails, trying to figure out how yep. we can make them short, concise, invaluable for the host, even if the 12th is the first one they've opened. And it worked out really well, but you do have to pay a lot of attention to the value mm-hmm. you're delivering, making sure you're not being too pushy with these follow-up emails and giving them an easy out, that invitation of the no. Hey, you know, email 16, if this isn't a fit for you, no worries, just let me know and I won't follow up again. Yeah. I'd be really interested to hear the st- see the stats on that, like when people reply or like when they, if they opt out, I guess, like, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the ones where the successes are, like at what number email, that'd be very interesting stuff. Are you able to share any of that? Or I unfortunately can't. I switched uh, uh, marketing outreach providers shortly yeah. after that. And yeah, didn't. No, no, no. It's all good. It's, it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I would have been interested to hear it. Now, is this outreach coming from like it's? I'm guessing it's you, not the person themselves, like or like your business, like that the outreach is Correct. coming from. Yeah, yeah. When I when I'm working with a client, I'll typically be pitching as myself. Hey, I'm Kai. I'd love to you know suggest a guest for you. I've tested it both ways, and what I found is when I'm pitching as the potential guest. It might not land correctly or the way I've written the emails doesn't correspond with their voice or their tone. And so then there's dissonance. And so just over after, you know, a number of these tours, the experience I found is sending as me or inserting me into their company and sending with one of their domains, but like kayak their company works well just since it's easy for me to keep that conversation going when somebody yeah. does respond. But yeah, absolutely. Something that could be tested. Yeah, I'm just interested because like, I am in two minds here because I definitely love hearing directly from the person that's going to be like coming on. And one thing I really hate is when like I reply and then the, I guess the assistant or whatever books it in and like, and then like, cause that's why I have some specific questions in my guest form that, um, they, generally has to be the person coming on filling out because because then sometimes i'll see like it's a va clearly putting some crap answers in there and then i can just cancel the interview basically (laughs) um because if they don't care enough to do that then they don't care enough for the show that's what i do for you guys listening to this you know just um (laughs) (laughs) um but on the other side of this um i don't think i'd want someone to outreach as me you know, if I was working with someone like you, I don't, because I've actually just been through a process with SEO link outreach that's kind of blown up in my face a little bit. Not not like terribly, but I didn't realize that it, what ended up happening is because I'm, I guess I've put so much effort into connecting to, with people in this space. Um, this agency was reaching out as me to a lot of people that I already know with different words that are a little bit spammy, right? 
um, and one guest post even ended up live on a friend's blog. Um, and it was the worst post. Holy hell. And like people were sharing it kind of the, like blindly because it's got my name on it. Uh, yeah. And I like literally got in there and I rewrote the post and the guy was too busy. I asked for his, uh, for him to create an account for me on his WordPress site so I could get in there and just edit my own post. Um, because he didn't have time. Like that was the lengths I went to. I was like, are you happy to do this? Cause like, I, and I re- rewrote the post actually made it good. Like, blo- <laughs> like sacrifice half a day to whatever to do it because it was just like, yeah. Th- and that all came because of outreach on my behalf, I guess. But I'd, sorry, as me, I think I'd prefer it to be done on my behalf then, you know, especially with a longer email sequence. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, two minds there. Like, I appreciate the founder or the actual person reaching out, but I don't think I would let someone else do it on my behalf, you know. Yeah, I'm completely yeah. with you there. It could it could blow up in so many ways. It could become almost like a personal reputation or brand reputation problem. Mm. It, it gets sticky. Mm-hmm. One way I try to overcome that, since you're absolutely right, like, if I'm emailing you to try to book ted my client and you don't have a chance to talk with ted it, it's kind of weird like you show up it, you're recording this is the first time you've spoken with mm. them so what i'll try to do is mandate to my client my process is when we confirm a placement or we get interest we're going to book up a pre-interview call 20 minute call you and the host sync up on topic sync up on equipment whatever mm-hmm. it might be and have that face-to-face conversation since that's really when a relationship can start the host could say, oh, yeah, it doesn't feel like a fit. Thank you so much. Or it might be a perfect relationship. But that pre-interview call just feels like a nice way to overcome that objection, overcome that friction, and make sure it's going to be a good quality episode for both the client and the podcast host. That's massive. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I definitely give points to someone who's asking for exactly that in, in an outreach rather than, you know, just, oh, can we book a spot? Uh, yeah, 100% agree with that but you know it doesn't even have to be a call like i'd be happy if they just you know offered to speak to me directly you know if you if you're interested in talking to ted let me know and we'll put you in touch like uh, because that would work for me too like i'm happy to email you can judge a bit a little bit from like how people communicate by email um obviously not very well but yeah the the pre-show call like if i've got time to do that then absolutely it it very much helps when you because get jumping on if if you've not even emailed them and they jump on a call i guarantee they're all my worst episodes and that's why i don't do them anymore Yeah. Hard price of experience. But yeah, I mean, both on the guest side and the host side, I think you kind of need those couple of lower quality episodes just to realize, okay, this pattern does not work for me. Yeah. It doesn't work for my audience and it's not working for the guests. So let's get a better process here to yeah. protect the audience. Absolutely. Hey, um, I think we've covered pretty much the whole process there. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. There's something I do want to talk about in like preparing to be a guest. Do you have any advice there? Because we've covered like how to find the podcast, like coming up with your topic and what you're going to talk about, uh, how to find the podcast, how to pitch them. Once you've got these booked in, I guess there's the the preparing and and then what you do afterwards as well. So let's let's talk about those. How do you recommend people prepare? Absolutely. Uh, This is another spot where I think a pre-interview call is great just to say like, oh, let's talk about getting on podcasts or how to get leads for your dental practice and sync up on the topic. But aside from that, it's an area where I honestly think experience is the best teacher. Mm. And I'll often recommend to my clients who are just getting started or wondering like, how do I overall prepare to be a better guest? Let's start off booking you on half a dozen smaller or newer shows. Not so we could be crappy on there, but just so you can get more confident in the process of becoming a guest. Aside from that, 
reviewing a topic, making some notes ahead of time. What are the main questions? What are the main points? What's the call to action I want to share? But uh, uh, both as a guest and as somebody who books these guests, I found that doing it firsthand is really the best way to prepare. I yeah, totally. Sort of cheat codes. Yeah, but you did say something there about like just having some notes or bullet points handy. Like I still do that uh, often. Like if I'm going on a podcast to talk about Zapier or productivity, I actually have some presentations I've given at events, right? And I literally open a PowerPoint sometimes on my other monitor just because I know there are certain slides on that if I need to jog like, oh, you, you know, before we spoke about the three buckets or whatever and you were like, oh, I hope I can do this off the top of my head um, just because I, you know, sprung that on you but like sometimes i you know i have five categories or something that i need to remember and i'm like shit what you know what slides that on i'm like literally on my other monitor scrolling to that slide so i've got that prompt there you know i'm still doing that after having been on a lot of podcasts so um totally fine to do that and because yeah if you 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 gonna you want to have that backup like if you do get stuck uh, it's it's kind of nice to have something to fall back on yeah, reference uh, materials or any sort of notes to the self. Yeah, and, and I love that idea of going on smaller podcasts. And again, not because you can be crappy, but because there's less pressure. You know, if you go straight, the first podcast you're on is Pat Flynn's, which isn't going to happen. You are going to be pooping your pants uh, <laughs> through the entire interview. I've definitely talked with people who are like, I want to get started podcast guesting. Entrepreneur on Fire seems like a great starter show. We've talked about them. They, you know, they told me the price to come on as a guest. And I'm like, I think this is an okay idea. I think we want a dozen or so podcasts under your belt before we go on Entrepreneur on Fire. So yep. let's start here and grow to there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Get some experience. Yeah. And I guess um, as a host, I, um, what comes after you know the, the podcast interview is, is really important too, because I really notice when someone goes out of their way to share something around. Like I had a guest uh, recently, Marcel uh, Papitas from uh, Parrot Keto, and he was like amazing at his stuff afterwards. You know, like I think he emailed me and said, thank you. And he shared it on LinkedIn and actually tagged me in it and shared it on Twitter and tagged me in it and shared like he, he actually tagged in a lot of places as well. And that, that was actually really cool. Like, cause you could see it was all manually done. Whereas I'm a bit lazy and often the ones I go on, I share through, um, like a buffer or something where it's not, people aren't taggable and Mm -hmm. they probably don't even know that I've shared it at that point. Uh, You know, but I I still, I go to the effort and I put it in my newsletter, but what I don't do is like really let that person know that I've been sharing it. Uh, Just when I saw what Marcel did, I was like, man, I need to do this with the the shows that I guest on because I noticed that. I, I love the way you framed it there since like zooming out for a bit, the value in sharing the show, the post episode promotion it's really not to get as many listeners or as much engagement as possible. That's nice, but it more and more, it really strikes me as you're closing the loop of the podcast host. We're essentially saying, thank you so much for inviting me into your house, onto your show to thank you for this. I'm going to do this good faith effort, share it on social, send out an email, post it on my site, whatever, come, you know, share it in Slack, send up a smoke signal just to show (laughs) I want to help other people know about this to thank you for coming onto the show. So I recommend a lot of the similar things for my clients. Let's tag people on social. Let's send out an email. Sometimes I'll even try to go to the next level and screenshot the email and send an email over to the host. Hey, thanks so much. We just sent this out to the list. You'll probably see a couple people click through. But really, we want to take these nice and proper actions just to show we appreciated being on the show. This wasn't a wham, bam, thank you. We're done here relationship. It's the start of a longer term relationship. Mm -hmm. And 
following up and promoting it in these ways really does create the best relationship. Boom. I think that is a really good spot to end. Do, do you think there's anything else we need to cover before we wrap this up? Um, back in my brain here. No, I, uh, the last thing I'd add is, uh, it's definitely a process you grow into. If you're listening to this and saying, Hey, I'd love to, you know, in two years have guested on a dozen podcasts, but I'm scared of that first one or getting started. Start small. Think of it like learning to ride a bike. Mm. You're going to have training wheels on first, build up some skill. And then maybe half a dozen shows in, then you start saying, okay, now I'm trying to grow my brand, grow my authority, get more leads, whatever it might be, but you could start small and get to the point where you're comfortable before you go all in. Absolutely. And oh, th this episode has basically been a start to finish guide on, on how to get on podcasts and why you should do it. It's been extremely awesome. So Kai, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's a topic I love educating people. on. Oh, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so if people want to, uh, you know, get involved in this and, and have you help them out on getting on podcasts, shall we send them to getonpodcasts.com? Yes, we should. That is the best spot to uh, get my free email course on how to get on podcasts. Some of what we covered in here is in there, but also a lot of other tips that we couldn't make room for, but getonpodcast.com. And uh, I also send out a daily email on marketing tips for indie consultants and agencies. So if you go to kaidavis.com, K-A-I-D-A-V-I-S.com, you could sign up for my newsletter there. But thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. There was, uh, I highly recommend people sign up for that five day course at getonpodcast.com and, and Kai's newsletter at kaidavis.com. May as well follow him on, uh, on Twitter and whatever else while you're there, which that will all be in the show notes at agencyhighway.com slash 110, but it is Kai S. Davis on Twitter. Uh, again, Kai, thank you so much for just being so open and sharing all of this stuff. Glad to. Thanks for having me on. And once again, to the listeners, hey, thanks for making it to the end of the episode. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Guys, thanks again for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you are listening to this episode. Uh, subscribe. Obviously, if this is your first episode, that would be much appreciated. That's it. And I'll see you in the next episode. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.